I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hi there, and welcome to another edition of Upholding Valor. I'm Jill Atwood, the Director of Communications for the VA Rocky Mountain Region. And with me today, I have Dr. Steve Allen. He is our PTSD coordinator here at VA Salt Lake City. And we also have Lynn Higgins. He is a peer support specialist, meaning he works with other veterans um, and sort of bringing them into the system and helping them navigate. Um, our mental health system and just sort of getting the help that they need. A lot of veterans need another veteran to sort of to sort of push them. So I appreciate you both being here. Um, Lynn is a veteran of both Vietnam and the Iraq War, and we're going to talk to you in just a second. Thanks for being here, Lynn. I appreciate it. Okay, um, Steve, I want to start with you. You've been doing this a really long time. Uh, we hear a lot about PTSD, thankfully, because we need to keep it top of mind for our veterans. Uh, we can't talk about it enough. And I, I guess I kind of want to hear from you. We, we hear different st statistics, but um, how common is it for our veterans coming home and, and, you know, based on how many times they're deployed, et cetera. Yeah, thanks, Jill. It's really, I think it is important to have uh, publicity about PTSD that people hear a lot, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it Absolutely. as well. Um, but primarily then it's important in that PTSD is a real treatable condition and that people can get much better uh, by coming into treatment. So. Um, you know, typically across wars, there's really been a, a pretty consistent number of folks that have developed PTSD. Usually about 15 to 20 percent of people develop PTSD. So what's important to, to realize with that is that uh, the majority of folks, even if they've been exposed to a traumatic event, are not going to develop PTSD. It's a smaller percentage of people. Um, that percentage of people that develops PTSD does increase with the more combat exposure, the more exposure to life-threatening events that people have. So typically for our Utah National Guard folks here that have had multiple, multiple uh, deployments over a relatively short time, often being away from their families more than they've been here in the States, that that does increase the risk of developing PTSD. And it's a little more difficult for them as well because they're sort of just thrust back into their civilian life so they don't have the people that they went over there with when they come home like Ex like maybe a regular army or or air force unit would exactly that support of being with the unit is really important and and folks often struggle with that um, uh, understanding of civilians of what it is that their life is like and they're put back into a civilian uh, 
workforce here where uh, oftentimes employers, other people around them, don't have under, an understanding of what's gone on. One of the things that Lynn has worked really well with veterans on is to help with that readjustment back into uh, civilian lifestyle, transitioning from a military lifestyle. But one of the most protective factors for PTSD is having people around you that understand you, that you can talk with, that support you, and that understand what, what you've gone through. So our, our guard troops have that with their units, but right. it's different than a regular Army unit that's stationed together after they come back on the same base. And Lynn, why don't you um, pick up from there? So you're a peer support specialist. What exactly do you do here, and how do you ta help veterans take that first step? Because we know that there's some hesitance there, and, and, and we can get into that, but barriers... They think they can handle it on their own, et cetera, et cetera. How do you, how do you get them to take that first step? What's your role here? Uh, our role is support. We are peers, which means we're veterans. Uh, we have to have been involved with some type of, in our case, uh, a mental illness, uh, substance abuse, PTSD, you know, pick your poison, and that we are in good recovery. That way we can assist those who are suffering and help them navigate the system, the VA, help them find their way. Uh, we can have empathy because we've been there, done that. Basically, we don't pull them, we don't push them, we walk alongside the veteran. And uh, we provide information and try to make them curious about a different way. And hopefully that will, you know, we build bridges. Uh, that oftentimes veterans are skeptical of the clinicians because they don't look like them. They haven't been in the military and they don't think that they can understand and help them. How which do you is, get them past that? Because I've heard that a lot. Yeah, that's one of the, one of the many great lies that mm -hmm. we as veterans tell ourselves. Um, you have to be patient, but helping them understand that these people, the clinicians, are not teaching them how to go to combat. They don't have to know how to do what you've done. They know how to help you come back and live in this civilian world in a state of recovery. That they know. And, uh, you know, with PTSD or a number of things, uh, it doesn't get better with time. And as my clinician told me, you can't think your way out of this. You just can't. If it's, if it's been... You know, if it's been around for at least a year and you're symptomatic for that long, you can't do it by yourself and you have to have the right kind of help. Well, one, when one of the things that I see, uh, Jill, is that the peers are a model of saying, I did this, you can do this too. And that helps to get over that uh, difficulty of asking for help, is to see another person that has struggled with the same things and to be able to say, you can do this. What are the, what are the main excuses you hear and then how do you combat those excuses? Well, there's an extremely long excuse, or list of excuses. There is. Uh, first off, we be empathetic. Yep, I understand. Been there, done that. I know how you're feeling. Have you thought about this? And being patient, continuing to reinforce that this is doable and try to help them mentally build a bridge from where they are to where they need to go to get the help and then help them understand that it's not going to be easy, but you have your military strengths and your military disciplines 
that's what you have to rely on. So we go back to the things that they still hold as powerful and help them be able to embrace uh, the concept of, okay, I'm, I'm going to do the treatment. I'm going to do it. You know, they all go through, well, maybe they'll just think about it or, okay, maybe I'll do it in 30 days or no, or, you know, as they go through their different states of readiness and we just, we stay there, we're consistent. We're not trying to sell them anything and we, we're right up front. You know, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want you to be aware that this is how myself and others have gotten to a much better place. So when you get miserable enough, then uh, let me know. And let's but when you've encountered some difficulties with or some barriers here with guard troops in terms Absolutely. of concern about their security clearance and oh, and yes. their, their ability, ability to, to hold their weapons, you know, Utah's a big gun state. Or just continue to serve right. in many that, cases. That too. Um, you know, we, Dr. Allen, when we when we talk with them oftentimes at uh, what are called gold ribbon ceremonies, Dr. Allen points that out. But also, we we stress the fact that if you're worried about having the right to keep your weapons, if you're worried about your security clearance, if you're worried about getting in trouble with your unit, the best thing you can do is get treatment. Because if you don't, then those things come in to, are going to be a problem for you. Because if you know if you if you have a domestic abuse issue or you. Uh, get picked up DUI or you get caught using or all of the number of things yes. that are real showstoppers, you're going to lose your weapons, you're going to lose your security clearance, you're probably going to get kicked out of the guard, and you're going to, the wife's not going to like you, the kids are going to be afraid of you, you're going to start substance abusing or whatever, and then the cops come, and then it really gets beyond the point where you're, you're going to have to do some serious damage control just beside do the treatment. For PTSD. And that's unfortunate. And that's uh, when we see mm-hmm. a lot of our that's veterans, right. unfortunately, when the onion has unraveled that's right. and their, their life is imploding. That's right. Or, or someone threatens and says, do this or else, sadly. Well, so we want to get them here prior to right. that and happening. We, as Lynn mentioned, we do a lot of outreach to the Guard as they come back from deployments uh, on their yellow ribbons to encourage them to come in. Um, and, and the idea is that it's much easier to fix these problems before a person has a DUI, before they're, they're paying attorneys for divorce uh, proceedings, um, before they, they have significant alcohol problems. And so we want to try and help people get over that hurdle to ask for help. The peer support specialists like Lynn have been invaluable in sort of modeling, I can ask for help. Well, and you've been doing this for several years now. Yes. Um, and. I'm assuming you have pretty good success considering your background. I mean, you're Vietnam veteran, Iraq War veteran, pilot. I mean, you've been through it many years in the Guard, many deployments, um, and I know that you've gone through your own struggles, so you can really relate. Tell me a little bit about your story and um, why you decided and, and, and when it happened that you were like, I can't do this on my own, I need some help. Uh, it was after... I retired from the military. Uh, I'm an old guy, but uh, um, also I had. Uh, it was after it, it started showing itself after my last my trip to uh, I- Iraq, which was an 18 month tour, and um, the symptomology, which I didn't know the list of symptoms other than I just knew that I was being more anxious, more angry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then as I approached retirement, approached retirement, excuse me. Um, things really started to blossom and I've learned since then that that was a classic uh, 
probably case of what's called late onset of PTSD, where the rest of my life, because I was busy working and, and I was still associated with the military, working full-time for the Guard and, or flying part-time or whatever, I was in my world. And uh, as that world starts to make drastic changes, it blew up on me. Uh, I was working for a company, um, a helicopter company, and uh, the owner said, you know, you are not the same person I used to know. And uh, they offered to, uh, to pay for me to go see a private clinician because I wasn't coming to the VA. That's for losers. That's where, that's where all those flaky veterans that, you know, can't make it, that can't suck it up and make it go. And I went to him, and I went for quite a while, a protracted amount of time, and spent a lot of money there. He saved my life, and I'm grateful. But it, as I, what I've learned now and what I've seen and witnessed, um, doing that, I could have saved most of that time if I'd have come to the VA and dealt with people who are trained in the evidence-based therapies for PTSD. There's nothing wrong with my clinician. Like I said, he saved my life, and I, I'm ever grateful. But there's a, there is a, you know, not all clinicians are cre- created equal, and uh, to deal with PTSD, you have to be trained in the evidence-based therapies. That's the best that we have right now. And now you said that you continue your therapy just by well, sheer nature of showing up here and, and coming to work and helping other vets. I have a lot of tools that I've learned, both with my clinician and with being at the VA, uh, being able to hang around Dr. Allen and coming up and uh, participating as a peer causes me to rethink, causes me to work my, my tools when I'm not doing well. And, and it then gives me uh, more information to pass on to others. Uh, yeah, it, it, coming up here, well, you know, like Gandhi says, if, you're, if, you're, if you want to find yourself, you lose yourself in the service of others. Yeah. And uh, this is, doing this is hard. It's not a good time. It's not fun for people like, oh, is that fun? No. But it is really good for me to do. Yeah. And like you said, it saved your life, and it can save yeah. and it can save others. Yeah. Thank you, Lynn, for for sharing that. You're so emotional about it. I appreciate that. I appreciate your candor, and I'm sure veterans and family members listening appreciate that too. Well, you have to understand about emotions. For a long time, you start shutting down emotions to cope, as you will. You can't just shut those down. You end up losing all of the emotions. And I'm uh, grateful. And it's a little embarrassing, but deal with it, uh, <laughs> that I have the full use of all my emotional faculties now. And I'm, and I'm grateful. And you're far more courageous than you were. That was a big, big moment for you to come forward and, well, and do that. you know, and that's what vets don't understand. This takes a lot of courage to do. I've worked with a lot of vets, and, and uh, after they've been through the treatment and they're now working their life into recovery. And by the way, recovery doesn't end until you're in the grave. You work on your recovery the entire time, the rest of your life. But it does get easier. You get better at it. it the bad things don't happen as often, and that's part of that post-traumatic growth. But what veterans that I'll ask, if, if you were to go through your special forces training again or to go through jump school again or ranger school or whatever you did, all of this hua hua, really tough stuff, and it's tough. I don't want to be a ranger. 
um, and Me you either. ask them what was harder, <laughs> going through your uh, therapy to get where you are or going through those schools, you said, oh, the treatment was much harder. But that isn't to tell people to be afraid of it. That's just to help you understand it took you a long time to get here. All of your military experiences took you to get to this point. It's going to take you a while to get to a better place, and it's going to take possibly the same amount of commitment and work and strength. So, I'm all emotional now. <laughs> well, excuse me. No, no, it's good. It's good. I've been doing this a long time, and I still am impacted by these by these stories because they're all so unique, but there is that common thread. Okay, so where do we go from here, Dr. Allen? So someone is on that fence or getting pushed or, or needs to come in. Being pushed doesn't work. If a wife is pushing them or someone's pushing them, mm-hmm. and they're not, they have to buy in. You're right. So it if someone's work. ready, if someone's decided that they Or they even need, curious. Yes. What's their first step, and, and, and what does that look like for them? Well, I think the first step is here at VA. We have a lot of resources really around the state, around the whole area. Um, we do have a specialized PTSD clinic here at the Salt Lake VA um, with a lot of uh, extremely well-trained and, and proficient clinicians. Um, every Tuesday morning here at the Salt Lake VA in the outpatient mental health building, we have an open intake for veterans if they're interested in getting started or getting an evaluation for possible military-related PTSD. We'll see them. A veteran comes in. They complete a questionnaire. And then they're seen individually by one of our clinicians. And then at the end of that time, we're able to make some treatment recommendations for them. Um, Sometimes veterans have the misapprehension that they're going to come in and talk about their trauma story to a group of strangers. And that's just not the case, that it's a private interview where they talk with a clinician about what's happened. But clearly that's a difficult thing to talk about some of the worst events of a person's life. Um, They don't need to be enrolled. they they do should need they should be enrolled uh, for VA care. But they can say walk in and say I'm not enrolled, and someone could guide them to that's what right. they need we'll to do next. Get, that's yes, right. we'll okay. help get them over to enrollment. Okay, um, and um, get started in treatment. Maybe so. even help uh, direction with filing claims. That's right, etc. So, that's part of our role is helping to be sure that people are getting the benefits they're entitled to. So we can help direct them to. Uh, Veterans Benefit Administration, another part of the VA, separate than the clinical part that we're working at. But that's, I think, another part of our service is to try and get veterans uh, the services uh, in terms of their benefits as well. Steve, um, you're the best. Well, <laughs> any, cl- I know, I know he is. I've worked with him for many years. Any closing thoughts? I, I you know, I think it does. Um, getting over that hurdle does take paying attention to people around you. Um, so it really does take that motivation, as Lynn's talked about, to coming in. But it is paying attention to your wife, people around you saying, you need to go get help. and Or I don't like the way you're acting. Exactly. Or saying, wait a minute, my kids are shying away from me. And so the, the guys that have done well are ones that have listened and say, yeah, this, I need to attend to this. And then they come in, and then they're able to, to get treatment. And then they're able to... Um, engage with their family and they're able to engage with life in a way that they hadn't been doing previously. And that's, part, as Lynn mentioned, that's recovery, is coming back um, 
and actually growing from the experiences that they've encountered things that many people in their lifetimes won't encounter and there is a richness to that experience that people can't see immediately but can help them uh, in terms of depth of, of their experience. So. Closing thoughts, maybe a veteran who's listening to this right now who was in your shoes and struggling. It can be really scary. So don't soldier up. Don't suck it up. Just come and get the help. Sucking it up doesn't work. Well said, Lynn. Thank you both so much. You're welcome. Um, and thanks again uh, for joining us uh, for this edition of Upholding Valor. And we'll see you next time. Thanks.